I'm Alexia Russell and welcome to The Detail's Long Read. This week, an essay from a new Bridget Williams book's text, Reconnecting Aotearoa, Loneliness and Connection in the Age of Social Distance. Social isolation and loneliness is an increasingly global phenomenon. Combining first-person accounts with research and evidence, the book brings together a set of writers to explore the importance of nurturing emotional and societal connections in Aotearoa, set against the backdrop of the COVID-19 pandemic. The essay we're reading is called Loss of Incidental Connections, and it's written by Susan Strongman, who joins us to read her essay herself. Kia ora, Susan. Kia ora, Alexia. Tell me about this project. What is it and how did you get involved? So the Helen Clark Foundation did a series, or I think a couple of large research projects on loneliness and its impacts on New Zealanders. And out of that, they decided to put together this text, which is a collection of essays from various different people, from various different backgrounds, talking about various different aspects of loneliness and how that impacts on people and populations. How did they find you? Kathy Errington, who who was the chief executive of the foundation, I know her quite well um, and she asked me to do it, which I said yes to. Did you know when you said yes that it would be such a personal essay? No, and I always say yes to these things and then I regret them immediately, but yeah, I I sort of grappled with what to write about um, and then this is this was the outcome. It, it, so it was the easiest thing for me to write about because it's really personal, but it was also the hardest thing to write about and it's really hard to talk about now. Okay. What is, just for people who don't know, can you explain a little bit about what the Helen Clark Foundation does? The Helen Clark Foundation is a public policy think tank, so they produce research around sort of social issues and um, other things in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and it's funded, well, the, the patron is Helen Clark. How big a problem do you think is isolation and loneliness here in New Zealand? Like, you know, how much a part does that play in the lives of particularly elderly people? Well, research has showed us, and this includes research from the foundation, that that it is actually a, a really big problem for certain demographics. What we find is that there are sort of intersecting issues that can make it worse. So um, if you live in poverty or if you have a disability or, you know, if you're a certain ethnicity, those issues can compound. And, and what loneliness has been shown to causes some quite major health issues, obviously anxiety and depression, which can also affect people's cardiovascular health. I think some research has actually shown that it causes bigger health problems than smoking. Wow. And it's ironic, isn't it, that in this day of days of the internet where we're all globally connected, that people who don't have access to that are isolated even more. Yeah, and that was something that showed up, I think, quite a lot during the pandemic was we were physically separated and a lot of people found that the internet was a useful way of connecting. Those who 
didn't have access to the internet, whether it was because they couldn't afford to have it or didn't have the right devices or didn't know how to use it, it became more isolating for those people. What is the solution to that? Because I think a lot of young people don't really understand that we're talking about a whole generation here where the world has flipped on them. You know, they've gone from using telephones that were connected to the wall to having all these, you know, things floating around the atmosphere that magically connects their TV. You know, it's a big concept to grasp. And if you haven't been on the ground floor, if you're not from the digital generation, it's something you really have to put your mind to to try and learn it. So, you know, are those people who just can't grasp it being left behind? You know, every government department now conducts their business online, for example. Yeah, I think to an extent they probably are um, being left behind a bit. I mean, my mum has been messaging me today because she's having issues with her cell phone. One of the apps she uses to communicate with me has uh, disappeared and she can't find anyone that can help her to to fix that and so so things like that for someone that's not a, a digital native quote unquote can be quite isolating and you know there are obviously other ways of being social if you live in a sort of a well-designed community or you have your your wider family friends and family living nearby you you know that works really well for some people and and you do see people that are more likely to live like that. But on the flip side, I guess if you don't live like that and you struggle with access to the internet or, you know, you struggle to use technology, it it can be really isolating. And, I mean, you know, in this world where your your kids grow up and they move to a bigger city for work, we're seeing a lot of that. It's not, you know, families don't cluster together like they used to. Yeah, that's right. And like your family. Yeah, my family's spread out. (laughs) In the UK and in Japan there's a minister for loneliness you know it's it's recognized as a big problem and they try to do things like you know get in touch with the elderly and put things on so that they don't feel like they're just in a little tiny unit by themselves. Do you think we should be doing something it's looking at that kind of thing doing something like that? That's a good question I mean the thing about loneliness in New Zealand is that it's really It's something that doesn't just affect older people. What the research tells us is that it's most common among 18 to 24-year-olds. We also see an impact of loneliness on people with disabilities, people who are unemployed, solo parents, recent migrants and people with low incomes. I mean, does that sort of an indication that this issue is far more widespread than you'd imagine? That, that's a that's a broad field. It is, yeah, and and I sort of mentioned before that, um, you know, there are some a lot of intersecting issues that can really compound the impacts of loneliness, and and so and so those are some of those things. Yeah, I mean, I'm, and solo parents in particular, um, and I think you know we did a podcast about this earlier this year, and um, that, you know it's a tough road. You know, employment policies don't really um, are not really aimed at solo parents. They have all these frantic, you know, duties that they've got no one to share them with. You know, I, I don't know what, what the answer is to that, though. You know, do we really need to, as a society, be looking deeper into these issues? 
Yeah, I think we do. And the other thing that's that's interesting about loneliness is that it's not actually about being alone because like a solo parent, for example, is, is not alone. They, they've got at least one child with them. But it's it's more about those social connections. So you might be around someone all the time but still feel alone. And I think that's where it gets tricky and, and it is something that needs to have more done about it. Well, let's hear it, shall we? Um, Susan Strongman reading her essay, Loss of Incidental Connections. When Mum called to say her garage flooded, I drove down to Hamilton to help clean up. When I arrived, I found boxes of books, clothes, paintings and drawings, some close to 50 years old, from when my sisters and I were kids, lying in shallow puddles of murky water that had leaked in through the walls and roof. Sodden on the concrete floor lay an ancient suitcase brought from Scotland where my grandparents emigrated, filled with papers and letters and photos and documents. Mum keeps everything. She likes to surround herself with objects, like an external brain made up of hundreds of tangible items that elicit memories and hold meaning. These items, often referred to as memory objects, lie in her cupboards and drawers and pile up in the garage. The external brain's epicentre is the fridge. It's plastered with photos of her university friends, cats and dogs long dead, kindergarten classes she once taught, her brothers, daughters, granddaughters, nieces and nephews, and of unidentified children of friends' children's children. From the fridge, the memory objects creep through the house like ivy. Drawings, postcards, vases, plates and newspaper clippings. Her parents' lounge suite, ceramics clumsily moulded by kids' fat little fingers. A framed picture that I drew aged five. Bags stuffed with crumbling sprigs of lavender and carefully folded baby clothes. Hers, my sister's and mine. They shoot down the hallway into the bathroom, the bedroom, even the toilet. Here lives a newspaper clipping about Hadrian's Wall, a world map and an old concert flyer. I call it clutter, dusty and chaotic, but almost everything in the house holds meaning for Mum, and I suspect these objects evoke fond memories for her, helping to fend off the loneliness that can creep into her life. Humans are social animals, so experiencing long periods of loneliness can severely impact on our physical and mental health, leaving us prone to anxiety and depression and increasing our risk of things like dementia and heart disease. Mum ticks a lot of the boxes that put her at risk of loneliness. For most of her adult life, she worked as a teacher, a busy, exhausting, badly paid job, It was a stretch for a solo parent of a shitty teenager, me. But she was surrounded by people. Friends, colleagues, kids, parents and caregivers. For mum, teaching was more than a job. It was a social network. It held meaning and gave her purpose. It was part of her identity. Research tells us there are many factors, those aforementioned boxes that mum ticks, that can contribute to loneliness. In 2018, some of the people most likely to feel lonely were unemployed. 
Though mum's actually retired, it's not really by choice. Does that make her unemployed? No one is stopping her from applying for jobs, but her skill set is limited to little outside wrangling preschoolers, which requires a certain level of energy, I'm told. It's also harder for older people, especially women, to enter or re-enter the workforce. To me, mum's always been old. She was 40 when I was born, much older than my friends' mums. Now she's 77 and I'm 39, about to start a family. We're both young at heart. Another factor that can up the risk of loneliness is having a low income. The 2022 New Zealand Retirement Expenditure Guidelines suggest that for people living outside of Auckland, Wellington or Christchurch, $650.34 is the weekly amount required to achieve a basic standard of living that includes few, if any, luxuries. Mum's annual income after tax is $33,103, or $636.60 a week. She pays $450 a week for the rental where she lives with her memory objects and her two cats. It can be lovely there. When the sun's out, she sits on the deck and reads a library book or sends extraordinarily long text messages to friends and family. In summer, she leaves the sliding doors open all day and grows flowers and vegetables in pots. She mows a little patch of grass, but lets weeds grow high in the garden beds where the cats make nests to snooze in the shade. It's far better than the last place she lived, a boarding house with antisocial, often aggressive housemates and neighbours, usually with piles of stinking rubbish in the shared kitchen. Living in boarding houses is an increasing trend among older women who are less likely to be chosen as employees or flatmates. But mum's place is also more expensive and the rent keeps going up. In winter, it's cold and damp. Mould grows on her clothes and shoes and the bathroom ceiling. Sometimes water comes in through the walls and the carpet gets musty. Often from her bedroom at night, she can hear people in the flats across the road shouting and screaming, which keeps her awake. She used to be friends with the neighbours, the nice man upstairs and the couple next door. Having them around made her feel safe. Often the couple would drop by with a meal, a loaf of homemade bread or oranges off their tree. She'd repay them with a cup of tea, lemons off her own tree or fresh fish from my sister. They all kept an eye on her, but when the neighbours' flats sold and the rent went up, they all moved out. They keep in touch, but I know Mum misses having them right there. Anxiety about money also keeps her awake at night. After rent, Mum has $186.60 a week to spend on things like power, food, petrol and insurance. Though many people in Aotearoa make do with far less, things are tight for mum. It's painful to see her struggle, to visit her at home and find a nearly empty fridge. She's taken to reusing tea bags and pocketing instant coffee sachets wherever she gets the chance. In winter, despite the biting Hamilton cold, she keeps the doors and windows open most of the day to air out the house, only turning the heater on after dark. To further save power, she showers only every few days and cooks all her food in the microwave. 
There's a pervasive and toxic stress that comes with being broke. For mum, debt is a constant worry, as are her living conditions, the well-being of her family and the cost of healthcare. Being broke can also hinder the formation and maintenance of relationships. The large group of old friends she used to see so often, the ones in the photo on the fridge, she sees less of now. Without an income, she can't make the journey out of town to visit, can't afford to split the bill at lunches or trips out to dinner. She wouldn't dream of ever saying that, though. Instead, she avoids their calls and emails and makes excuses not to go. Other things that once brought mum pleasure, like seeing a movie or having a glass of red wine, are off-limits now, too. Just being around others is a significant salve for mum, and she's not alone in that. In the UK, a survey found that 33% of respondents deliberately caught the bus in order to have some human contact. For mum, it's people in cafes rather than bus passengers who keep her company. Most days she'll go to a cafe, often McDonald's, where her super gold card means she can get a $2 flat white. Surrounded by people, she sits for hours, reading the paper, sending those long texts punctuated with cat and flower emojis, writing cards and letters to friends that, more often than not, she doesn't get around to sending. But in March 2020, when the country went into lockdown, the cafes all shut. It was a particularly hard time for Mum. At first, my sisters and I worried that she'd go stir-crazy and refuse to stay home. But in fact, she avoided leaving the house, even for walks. So the only human contact she had was with my sister and niece, who live in Hamilton, when they dropped off groceries and sat in the asphalt driveway for a physically distanced cup of tea. During lockdown, while many people stayed in touch with friends and family more than ever before, the bad cell phone reception and lack of internet connection at Mum's meant calls would drop out or not even go through, and video calling was not even an option. Fortunately, this did not affect Mum's ability to send her text messages. It's not uncommon for people over 75 to not have internet at home. Others who tend to lack access are people living in social housing, unemployed people, and those living with a disability. In Alone Together, the Helen Clark Foundation reported that people on low incomes can find the experience of loneliness particularly challenging because they often lack access to the material and social resources to buffer its negative effects, such as high-speed internet, warm, comfortable homes, and access to plentiful food. This is an excerpt from Alone Together. During and after the COVID-19 crisis, affordable internet access has become even more important to enable people to retain social connections. There was already a strong case that a suitable device with an affordable internet connection should be considered part of a baseline for social inclusion, in the same way that a landline with free local calling was a baseline last century. In the post-COVID-19 environment, this is even more important. In early 2021, a new job with a higher salary and more flexibility meant I could set up and pay for an internet connection at Mum's place and work some days each week from her home. 
Mum can now make voice and video calls to her heart's delight, though texting remains her preferred method of communication. While loneliness tends to decrease with age, evidence both in Aotearoa and overseas suggests it begins to increase again once people reach 75. In line with this, in 2020, people aged over 75 were the second most likely group to feel lonely most or all of the time, after 18 to 24-year-olds. Since we know that poverty intersects with loneliness, it's alarming, but perhaps not surprising, to learn that in Australia, older women are the fastest-growing group in poverty. There are numerous factors that contribute to this. Like many women, mum arrived in retirement without a partner, sufficient savings, thanks to the gender pay gap and tendency for women to work less because of caring duties, or a home. While home ownership is in decline across all age groups, housing is more precarious for low-income, older women, especially Māori and Pacifica women, and renters are more likely to live alone with lower annual incomes and with poorer health. As in mum's experience, renters are vulnerable to increasing costs of tenancy and must also live with the risk of having to move out at any time. Which brings me back to the flooded garage. In order to save money, mum had cancelled her contents insurance. Many of the damaged items were irreplaceable. It was the memories that these things evoke that are priceless to her. Mum and I spent a few nice days together going through these boxes of memories, saving what we could, throwing out what we couldn't. My sisters and I have finally convinced Mum to join a wait list for pensioner housing in Hamilton. The units look nice, warm and community focused, with plenty of space for her memories to spread. That was Loss of Incidental Connections, an essay by Susan Strongman, published in Reconnecting Aotearoa, Loneliness and Connection in the Age of Social Distance. It's a Bridget Williams book, edited by Kathy Errington and Holly Walker. The Details Long Read is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund, and we'll be back next week with another long read. Ka kite anō. 